0: Bibles to 2nd Corinthians chapter 3, 2 Corinthians chapter 3, as we are going through the New Testament this morning or this year, this, however long that takes, but we are currently in 2nd Corinthians. This morning our message is on living letters, living letters. In chapters 1 through 3, Paul has defended his motives. That is, his reasons for what he did and for what he didn't do. Beginning now in chapter 3 this morning, he defends his message, which is the gospel of grace in Jesus Christ. And he starts with a word of examination, beginning with verse 1 in chapter 3. And he says, Do we begin again to commend ourselves, or do we need as some others, epistles of commendation to you or letters of commendation from you. So he starts with a question. He says, do we, do we begin again to commend ourselves? In other words, he says, he, he says, does it sound like we're patting ourselves on the back that is by insisting on our credentials stressing our authority well he says we're not he says then we don't need letters of endorsement either to you or from you in other words some of these legalists in the Corinthian church you know would want letters of recommendation and their credentials from preachers like Paul to show that they were somebody or they had what it took to be you know preaching the gospel message and Paul says does it does it sound like we're you know based on their what they wanted to see uh, are we patting ourselves on the back now are we looking at our credentials are we looking at our authority, in order to preach the, the the gospel of grace, and he says we're not. He says we do not need lead, lead letters of endorsement from you or for you. The Judaizers boasted that they carried letters of recommendation. Oh, from the important people in the church, the Jerusalem church, and they pointed out to Paul that that Paul didn't have these important credentials. And it's pretty sad when people measure their worth by what others say instead of, by, instead of by, but by what God knows about them. Paul says, I don't need any credentials from church leaders. I don't need any church credentials from for, for, for my life or for my ministry. He says, we're the only recommendation that's needed. In other words, look at us. Look at us. In other words, look at our life. Look at the way we live. Look at the transformation of our life because of Christ. When God gave the law, back in the Old Testament, God God wrote on stone tablets. Hard stone tablets. And then those tablets were put and kept in the Ark of the Covenant. So, you know, people couldn't read them. Even if the Israelites could read them, it wouldn't have changed their lives. Because the law was an external thing. It was an outward thing. And people needed an internal power if their lives were going to be transformed. You know, we can read all the laws that we want. And we have tons of laws in our land. But how many of them are broken every day? We know the law. Problem is, we don't have a power within to obey the laws. So, because it is an external thing, they, they didn't have the power, you know, inwardly, to trans, be transformed to those laws. The legalists can warn us hey, don't do that. Or, hey, do this. But the, the legalist can't give us the power to obey. And that's what religion does. Religion tells you, well, you know, you, you got go to you gotta go do this, and you got to do this so many times, and you got to do it this way, and you got to do it that way. And... But they don't tell you how to do it. If we do obey those rules, well, it's often not from the heart. It's because I have to. And we end up worse than before. The ministry of grace, God's grace, changes the heart. And that's what God is looking for, a changed heart. The Holy Spirit uses the Word of God, that is the Bible, and He writes it on the heart. The Corinthians were wicked sinners when Paul came to them. But his ministry of the gospel of God's grace totally changed the people's lives. Their experience of God's grace definitely meant more to them than the letters of commendation carried by the false teachers. In other words, these, these, these false teachers would come and they'd say, well, here's our credentials, you know we're knowledgeable and we're this and we've been we, we're coming to you on the authority of the church. What was more important was what Paul what they saw in Paul's ministry. they saw changed lives. They saw people walking with Jesus. The Corinthian believers were lovingly written on Paul's heart. And the Holy Spirit had written the truth, God's truth, on their hearts, making them living epistles of Jesus Christ. Living letters. The test of ministry is changed lives. And that's what we need to look for in a ministry. Are are people's lives being changed? It's not how big the church is. It's not how big their bank account is. It's not how the lavish furnishings. It's not press releases about the big church in town. That is not the sign necessarily of a church that's changing lives. It's a lot easier for legalists to brag about those kinds of things. Boast because he can measure his ministry by external standards. The believer who patiently ministers by the Holy Spirit must leave the results with the Lord. He's the one, who, bear, he's the one who, who increases the fruit. He's the one who brings that about. How sad it is that the Corinthians followed the boastful Judaizers, the legalists. And they broke the heart of the man, Paul, who had rescued them from judgment. Now we have the question that Paul answered in verse 1. I'm sorry, we have the the question that Paul asked in verse 1, answered now in verses 2 through 5. Paul first points to his real letters that the Corinthians themselves were all the letters that he needed. He says, hey, just look at the people that have been saved by Jesus Christ through the ministry that, that, that I gave them, that I taught them. They're the living letters. They're the real thing. So, look at what he says now in uh, verse 2. He says, You are our epistle, written in our hearts, known and read by all men. So, the people were the written epistles, epistles in Paul's heart. The only letter of recommendation Paul says that we need is you. The people. You're the proof of the ministry. Your lives are a letter written in our hearts, and everybody can read it. And they can see our good work among you. In other words, they told the legalizers, the Judaizers, the false teachers, he said, Look, we don't need to have letters of recommendation given to you. All you have to do is look at the people from this ministry. Look at the people, they're the evidence. Others might have to prove their credibility, but, you know, with other churches, like the church of Corinth, by bringing letters of recommendation with them. But Paul's letter was within his heart. A heart that had, a, that had gone out to the Corinthians in their lost condition. And through the gospel of Jesus Christ, Paul wooed them, and he won them to Christ, and he saw their lives transformed. Their changed lives were all the proof, all the letters that he would that he that he'd ever need with them. And there's no doubt that their transformed lives were very obvious to the to the sa- to the unsaved. And, and when somebody is truly born again, their life is obvious to the unsaved. They know that that person has changed. Something is something's something's different about that person. We don't have to take them a letter of proof. We don't have to, you know, uh, have somebody say, hey, yeah, this, no. Your life, from what it was before to the, to the new life, it should be very recognizable. Even the pagans could read Paul's letters of commendation as they looked at Corinthian believers. The, the, those, those, those the, the pagan people around uh, Paul's ministry Those those pagans who who were once idolatrous and immoral pagans, they were now examples of righteousness and morality. Our lives should also be known and read by all men. When Jonah marched through the streets of Nineveh, he shouted out out a message of doom. He said, 40 days and Nineveh is going to be overthrown. The people repented to a man. But the real message might have been himself. When they saw Jonah, after he had been in the stomach of the great fish for three days and three nights, when he came out, the gastric juices, the acids of the great fish most likely did a number on his skin. His face was very likely discolored discolored and, and horrible to look at. He was a living epistle. People would look at him and now they would pay attention to his warning. God will punish sin, they said to themselves. It's written all over Jonah's face. Because you see, when God called him to go to Nineveh and preach the gospel, he didn't do it. He disobeyed God. He, did, he, he just outright sinned against God. And God had this great fish waiting for him as punishment. Afterward, again, the people saw the results and said, "Hey, God punishes his, God punishes sin. Just look at Jonah. Yet there he was, Jonah walking on their streets, a man living in the power of resurrection, which the three days in the, in, in the belly of the great fish uh, was an analogy of Christ's three days in the, in the earth. They also saw that they, they also saw in that another message. One Jonah wasn't called to deliver." God will pardon sinners. Or, or, or questioningly, will God pardon sinners? And after the repentance, the proof came. It was true that God will pardon sinners. It should be the same with us. The world needs to see the gospel lived out in our lives. And we always have to remember, we might be the only Bible that anybody ever reads Then the Corinthians, who are Paul's letter, were written on his soul. Look at verse 3. Clearly, Paul says, you are an epistle of Christ, ministered by us, written not with ink, but by the Spirit of the living God, and not on tablets of stone, but on tablets of flesh, that is, of the heart. The Corinthians weren't just Paul's converts. The only letter of recommendation he would ever need Just the people, but they were a letter of Jesus himself, who was the author. Now, the conversion of the Corinthians was the work of Jesus Christ through Paul's ministry. No no ink was needed, no pen was needed, you know, to prove their testimonies. The Holy Spirit was the pen, they were the paper, and Jesus was the author. And Paul thinks back to the Old Testament, When God literally wrote with his finger on the stone tablets. Now that was a miracle on its own. There there, there they were. These cold, hard, stone tablets. And with God's mighty finger, he wrote on those hard, cold, stone tablets, the Ten Commandments. Moses must have been blown away. As the words began to appear on that solid stone. And Paul says here, man, there was nothing compared to what happened. That was nothing compared to what happened to the Corinthians. God writing on that cold, hard stone, the Ten Commandments. Miracle in itself. But Paul says, that's nothing compared to what has happened to the Corinthians. Because any man could write with, paint, with a pen and ink. But only Jesus Christ can write with the Holy Spirit on your heart. The message being lived out by a way of dynamic human life. That was a message of the soul being saved. That was a message of a soul-saving, life-transforming power of the gospel of Jesus Christ as it was preached by Paul. Now, some people, you know, they're always asking for God to show them something. Show, do something spectacular, God. Get, show me a miracle, and then I'll believe. Which is far from the truth. Listen to what Jesus said in Luke sixteen twenty-seven through thirty-one, regarding the rich man who was in torment, and Abraham who was in the comfort of God. Jesus said, Then the rich man said, Please, Father Abraham, at least send him, that is Abraham, to my father's home. For I have five brothers, and I want, them, I want him to warn them so they do not end up in this place of torment. So here's this man. He was the rich man. He lived a great life, had everything he wanted all of his life, and when he died, he ended up in hell. And now he's experiencing this torment. And he sees Abraham. He's being comforted by God, who was poor, he didn't have anything. And and now this man is asking, Oh Abraham, please send somebody to my five brothers because I don't want them to come to this place of torment. <clears throat> and Abraham says, Moses and the prophets, they, 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 they've warned them already. Your brothers can read what they wrote. Then the rich man replied, No, Father Abraham, but if somebody is sent from the dead, then they'll repent of their sins and turn to God. But Abraham said, If they won't listen to Moses and the prophets, they won't listen even if someone rises from the dead. Someone did rise from the dead 2,000 years ago. And still people are not saved. I mean, that was a great miracle in itself people still aren't saved. You see, miracles are not a substitute for the word of God. God said, and you know what? That should be enough. God said. But even the miracle of Jesus Christ rising from the dead didn't save people. A lot of people. The miracle of regeneration and sanctification is a much greater display of divine miracle than even turning water into wine or the feeding of 5,000. How about Jacob in his unregenerate days? Jacob was religious. He had his eye on, on the blessing and the birthright. Those were things that his brother Esau weren't interested in. But other than that, Jacob was crooked, just like his name suggested, conniver. He lied. Jacob lied, he schemed, he cheated his way through life until he met God at the Jabbok River. That's where God broke him so that God could bless him. And then he, was, he became a transformed... After that, he was a transformed man. So the Corinthians had become living epistles, living letters, and, and they were all the letters of recommendations that Paul needed. He said, just look at the people. They're the proof. The Judaizers, that is the legalizers, the legalists, they might come with influential and impressive letters from the Jerusalem church as though that was some kind of mother church. But Paul said, Paul didn't need any kind of endorsement. The people were the endorsement of his ministry. Besides, letters can be falsified. Paul had his living letter. He had his living letter. The people, the best kind of all. And then next, Paul turns to his own revealing life in verses 4 through 5. He mentions his trust in Jesus Christ in verse 4. Notice, he says, And we have trust through Christ toward God. Paul's confidence wasn't in his letters. It was in the Lord. Paul was sure of his position. He was sure of who he was and who called him. His mission and his apostleship was so secure, even with the criticism of the critics, he was able to, to have it exposed before God. Now, this wasn't just self-confidence that Paul had. It wasn't the kind of confidence that a person gets in the ministry through a sense of a, a greater gift or competence than others, which, which you know is a very poor kind of confidence. When you base your confidence off of somebody else, oh, I can see I'm, I'm better gifted than they are, and I, I, you know, my ministry is more fruitful than theirs. That, that's not a good confidence booster. You know, it, it, it's a poor kind of confidence. Paul's confidence rested on the total trustworthiness of the gospel, and on the assurance that he had been made an apostle by the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only that, it was his trust in God. Through Christ, they gave him his confidence. He had no doubt about his confidence being rooted and grounded in God. And that could stand up to God's inspection. And then he mentions his triumph in verse 5. He goes on to say, Not that we are sufficient of ourselves to think of anything as being from ourselves, but our sufficiency is from God. Now, Paul, he was a gifted guy. Paul had plenty of simple human resources. His human resources. He had great natural gifts that he might have been tempted to depend upon to, to further his work in the ministry. Paul had a great mind. He had a sharp mind. He was, he was trained and he was disciplined by one of the greatest rabbis of his day, Gamaliel. Even his enemies paid tribute to his learning. His enemies recognized his mind, his intellect. He was a natural go-getter. He was driven. He was determined. He had a powerful and influential personality. He had an eloquent tongue and he had a persuasive pen as we read the letters that he was written. Paul was multicultural. Because he had been raised a Jew in a Greek home, uh, in a Greek city, and he was a Roman citizen. He had a gift for making friends and he had a gift for encouraging loyalty. But Paul ignored all of his natural abilities in his ministry. Why? He didn't have any confidence in his flesh. He said in Philippians 3, 7 through 8, what things were gained to me, these I have counted lost for Christ for the excellence of Christ. It was all about Jesus. He said, my sufficiency is from God. His sufficiency was God. His ability was in God alone. He denied even the ability to think anything right and good or good. All of his knowledge, all of his holiness, all of his power was of God. So this word of examination in the first five verses is now followed by a word of explanation beginning with verse 6. Who also made us sufficient as ministers of the new covenant, not of the letter, but of the Spirit, for the letter kills, but the Spirit gives um, Gives life. So Paul wasn't suggesting that the law was a mistake. He wasn't suggesting that the law, uh, that its, its ministry wasn't important. No doubt, a lot of the criticism that Paul got from those at Corinth came from the legalists. The Jerusalem church accepted the views of the legalists. And it seems that they sent their teachers out to challenge Paul's converts. You know, putting down Paul. You know, you, you listen to Paul and, and what he had to preach and we have recommendations. We have letters from the church and, you know, we, we know what we're doing. You know, they had their letters properly signed by all the right people. They also had the, their, their souls were also bound to the old, the old covenant, to the letter of the law. So these, these missionaries ignored the fact that there was a new covenant. There was a new covenant in place of the one that once used to be. And this new covenant made the old covenant of the law desolate, obsolete. It's, it's, it's of no value anymore. The old covenant had been ratified. It had been accepted uh, to Israel on Mount Sinai. And the Old Covenant was based on the Ten Commandments. And it was basically a code of do's and don'ts. Plus, it, it, was, it was dreadfully, dreadfully severe because it pronounced death on anyone who broke the Ten Commandments. The Mosaic Law was heaven's minimum standard of behavior required by all men. And the children of Israel in the wilderness, they rashly put themselves under that covenant when they said, oh, Moses, all that the Lord says we're going to do. How many times, I mean, the whole story of Israel was about breaking God's law. They only found out that it was totally impossible for them to keep even the letter of the law. Not only could the Jews not keep even so much as the letter of the law, they were hopelessly unable to keep the spirit of the law. The letter of the law, absolute you know doing the law, the spirit of the law is the attitude in the heart, wanting to do the law or wanting to, 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 to live the law. Jesus revealed the true spirit of the law in the Sermon of the Mount. Like I said, the Ten Commandments were a list of do's and don'ts. The Sermon on the Mount. The Beatitudes, that was not a list of things to do. It was, a, 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 it was an attitude that we were to have once we had given our life to Christ. It was an attitude that we were to have. It was a way that we were to live once our old nature was replaced with the love of Jesus Christ, with him. With his new nature. Not only could the Jews not keep like the letter of the law, they, they couldn't even, they couldn't, they were, they were hopelessly unable to keep the spirit of the law. Jesus Christ revealed it, what it was on the Sermon on the Mount, the true spirit of the law. Jesus passed the law through his mind's eye. You know, when Jesus saw the Old Testament, all the old covenant, when it, now when it went through Christ's mind, he saw it through his eye, he lifted the Old Testament covenant. The old He lifted it to a higher level. Remember it said in the Old Testament, it says that if anybody commits adultery, is worthy of death. Jesus took to a higher level. He said, if you so much as look at somebody lustful, you've committed adultery in your heart. He said, remember again, if you got angry with your brother, it's, it was Murder. It was, you know, unless, you know, or if you murdered somebody, you know, obviously it was, you know, it was death. But Jesus said, hey, if you so much as get angry at your brother, it's murder. You see, this was the old covenant. Death was its rule. If you broke into the old covenant, you died. You were put to death. But in contrast, Paul says we are we are ministers of the new the New Testament. The conditions of the new covenant are spiritual. We are no longer, longer under law. We are under grace. The old covenant could not give life. It was lifeless. Why? Because it lacked the Holy Spirit's power. The Lord Jesus Christ is the one who conveys the life of the Spirit that brings life to the new covenant that we've made with Christ. Christ. The law, the letter of the law, the whole system of legalism, of the law, it was deadening. There never was a standard that could transform a person's life. Only the grace of God can transform a person's life, ministered by the Holy Spirit. The grace of God, ministered by the Holy Spirit, can transform lost sinners into living letters that glorify Jesus. Verses 7 through 11 are the heart of the chapter. Now, Paul didn't deny the glory of the old covenant, there was nothing wrong with the law. The problem was me. Look at verses 7 through 8. But if the ministry of death, written and engraved on stones, was glorious so that the children of Israel could not look steadily at the face of Moses because of the glory of his countenance, which glory was passing away, how will the ministry of the Spirit not be more glorious? The new the new covenant glory means spiritual life, not death. When Moses came, remember when Moses came down from Mount Sinai after talking with God, his face was shining with the glory of God. This was part of the glory of the giving of the law. And it definitely imple- impressed people. Paul then argued here in verses seven through eight. He says, if there was glory when the law was given, which brought death, How much more glory is there in a ministry that brings life? Legalists, like the Judaizers, they like to magnify the glory of the law and they minimize its weakness. In other words, they would boast about the law and how it's God's law and how great it is and the glory of it, but they never spoke about, well, we can't keep it. (laughs) Though it's glorious... Weren't able to live it. So they spoke about the glory of the law, but they they minimized the weakness of the law. In Paul's letter to the Galatian churches, Paul pointed out the weaknesses of the law. Paul told the Galatians that, that the law could not justify the sinner. All of those sacrifices that they, the, the, the whole legalistics, the legal system of the law, for 1400 years, it was all pointing to Jesus Christ. All of those sacrifices, they said could never take away sin. It, did, it would cover their sin, but that's why they had to continue those sacrifices for 1,400 years, until the one and for all sacrifice came once and for all that covered all sin. Paul told the Galatians that, that the law could not justify the lost sinner. He said to the Galatians, the law he couldn't give sinner, couldn't give a sinner righteousness. He said the law couldn't give the, 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 he couldn't give the Holy Spirit. The law couldn't give sinners an inheritance. The law couldn't give them life. The law couldn't give them freedom. The glory of the law is really the glory of. A ministry of death. Verses 9 through 10. For if the ministry of condemnation had glory, the ministry of righteousness exceeds much more in glory. For even what was made glorious had no glory in this respect because of of the glory that excels. The new covenant glory means righteousness, not condemnation. The law wasn't given for the purpose of salvation. Because you see, there's no salvation through obeying the law. The law produces condemnation. And and, and, you know, and it's the mirror, the Word of God, the law. It's the mirror that shows how dirty our faces really are. But we can't wash our faces in the mirror. The ministry of the new covenant produces righteousness and changes lives. To the glory of God. Man's greatest need is righteousness. And God's greatest gift is righteousness through faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. The person who tries to live by the law will find themselves feeling more and more guilty. And then this can produce feelings of hopelessness and rejection. And and I can remember back in the day when, when, you know... I guess it's when God began to to draw me to him and and, and I began to think in, a, in another direction as I was getting older. Then I said, you know what? I, I, I need to change some things in my life. You know, and I thought, I, I, I can't party forever and drink forever and do drugs forever. And, you know, I, I'm, I'm going to quit doing those things. And And I was, and I was serious in my heart. But a week or two later, if, if that, I was back at it. I wanted to, I meant it, but it was like, I, I couldn't. And, 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 you know, when you can't find that, that, that strength or, or that, that power that, that enables you to do that, thinking that you can just say, yeah, I can turn it off and on whenever I want to. That, that's, that's where the enemy deceives you. We're in bondage to that kind of thing, whether we believe it or not or, or, or admit it or not. And then when you realize, you know, this is, I guess this is it. This is my life. It begins to produce feelings of hopelessness. I guess that's all there is. I guess this is Life. You know, it's when we trust Jesus Christ and we live by faith in God's grace, then we experience acceptance and joy. Verse 10 says that the law had no glory when it was compared to the greater glory of the ministry of God's grace. And and there simply is no comparison. Look at verse 11. Therefore, since we have such hope, we use great boldness of speech i sorry, did I, I read verse 12? Yeah, this, verse 11, sorry. It says, for, for if what is passing away, notice, was glorious, what remains is much more glorious. The new covenant glory is permanent. It's not temporary. The Judaizers wanted the Corinthians to go back and put themselves under the law to mix the two covenants. But why go back to something that's temporary and fading away? live in the glory of the new covenant, which is getting greater and greater and greater. The glory of the law, the glory of the law is just the glory of past history. It's, it's, it's past, it's history. While the glory of the new covenant is the glory of present experience. And as believers, we can be changed from glory to glory, verse 18 says, something that the law can never do. The glory of the law was fading in Paul's day. And today that glory is found only in the history of the Bible. You want to read about the glory of the, the glory days in the Old Testament? That's where you're going to find it, in the Old Testament. During Moses' day. The nation of Israel, they don't have a temple. They don't have a priesthood. And if they did, have a, if they did build a temple, there would be no Shekinah glory because that is past. There would be no Shekinah glory dwelling in the Holy of Holies like it once was. The law of Moses is a religion with a very glorious past. But it has no glory today. The light is gone. Paul said, all that's left are shadows of things that were to come. All of that was just, again, a foreshadowing of Jesus Christ's coming. And his sacrifice would be the ultimate sacrifice once and for all. Paul has pointed out that, that the ministry of grace is internal in verses 1 through 3 here. He points out that the ministry it, 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 of grace, it brings life in verses 4 through 6. And that the ministry of grace, it involves increasing glory here in verses 7 through 11. And now he has one last contrast to prove the superiority of, Of the new covenant ministry of grace. And how he does it. Paul now uses Moses. And his his veil to illustrate the glorious freedom. And the openness of the Christian life under grace. Look at verses 12 through 13. Therefore since we have such hope. We use great boldness of speech. Unlike Moses who put a veil over his face. So that the children of Israel could not look steadily. At the end of what was passing away. Paul didn't hide his boldness. When Moses came down from communing with God, his face was glowing with God's glory. When Moses talked to the people, they could see the glory of God on his face. And they were impressed by it. But Moses knew, Moses knew that that glory would fade away. So when he finished te- teaching his people, he put a veil over his face. This kept them from seeing the glory of God disappear. Who wants to follow a leader who's losing his glory? The law had just been started. And the people, they weren't ready to to be told that that glorious system was only temporary. The truth that the covenant of law is in in preparation for something greater wasn't made to them, wasn't made to them, uh, no to them yet. Look at verses 14 through 17. But their minds were blinded. For until this day, the same veil remains unlifted in the reading of the Old Testament because the veil is taken away in Christ. But even to this day, when Moses is read, a veil lies on their heart. Nevertheless, when one turns to the Lord, the veil is taken away. Now the Lord is the Spirit and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is liberty. Paul had a special love for Israel. And he had such a burden To see Israel, uh, to see his people saved. Paul was seeing many Gentiles come to Christ. But his people, the Jews, his own people were rejecting the truth and they're persecuting Paul and the church. Why were the Jewish people rejecting the Messiah, their Messiah? Because there was a spiritual veil over their minds and their hearts, Paul said. Their spiritual eyes were blinded. And that's why when they read the Old Testament scriptures, they didn't see the truth about their own Messiah. Even though the scriptures were read systematically in the synagogues, the Jewish people did not grasp the spiritual message that God had given them. They were blinded to their own religion. But in verse 16, Paul says, There's hope for Israel. Because when people trusted in the Lord Jesus Christ, it's amazing how their minds open to the Word of God after they've been born again because the veil is then taken away. And boy, this always reminds me, man, before I was saved, and I'd hear somebody or TV, or somebody on the radio or whatever, and somebody said, oh yeah, well, they saw the light. I used said, oh, you know, I used to mock that. They saw, Because the I didn't understand it. They saw the light, well, you know. I don't know, whatever that means. But until it happens to you, you don't understand it. But when it does, you go, now I know. Now I see as if a light was turned on and that light is Christ. And now I see, I see clearly what the word of God says. I remember when I first started reading the Bible, I just, the very first chapter of creation, I slammed it shut and that was the last time. I could not make hiding her hair out of it. I thought, this is crazy. Until, again, Christ comes into your life and that veil is taken away and the light of Christ shines upon his word. And then I could understand it. That veil is taken away. Why doesn't everybody see what you see? because there's a veil that needs to be removed by the Holy Spirit so they can receive spiritual vision. But no sinner can turn to Jesus Christ without the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then Paul says in verse 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit. Here Paul boldly declares the deity of the Holy Spirit, that the Holy Spirit is God. We also see that in Acts chapter 5, when Ananias was lying to Peter about how much money they had sold their 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 belongings, from, uh, you know how much they sold their belongings. Peter said, "And I said, why have, why have you lied to God? You haven't lied to men. You've lied to the Holy Spirit." So he said, "You lied to God," and then he said, "You lied to the Holy Spirit, speaking of its deity." The Judaizers. Who had gotten into the church at Corinth. They were depending upon the law to change men's lives. But only the Holy Spirit can bring about spiritual transformation. You can't do it by trying. You can't do it in the flesh. You can't do it by following rules. You can't do it by just, you know. It takes the Holy Spirit power in your life to change hearts. Only the Holy Spirit can bring about a spiritual transformation. They can bring only bondage. The Judaizers, they can only bring bondage to the people. But the Holy Spirit introduces us into a life of freedom. Let's close with verse 18. But we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as by the Spirit of the Lord. Now Paul gives us the spiritual application here. This verse is the climax of the chapter giving us a really exciting truth here. Paul saying, you and I can share the image of Christ through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. Under the Old Covenant, only Moses climbed to the mountain. Everybody else had to stay down. Only Moses could climb to the mountain, and only Moses had fellowship with God. Under the Old Covenant. But under the New Covenant, all believers have the privilege of communion with God. Through Christ, we can enter into the Holy of Holies. The mirror is a symbol of God's Word. And as we look into it, and we see God's Son, the Holy Spirit transforms us into the same image of God. And the word transformed describes a change on the outside that comes from the inside. The changes come from within when Christ invades your heart. Moses reflected the glory of God, but you and I may radiate the glory of God. When we meditate upon God's Word and we see God's Son in in it, in God's Word, then the Holy Spirit transforms us. This can't happen by keeping the law. The glory of the law faded away, but the glory of God's grace continues to increase in our lives. The Old Covenant is a ministry of bondage. The new covenant is one of freedom in the Holy Spirit. And God wants his children to obey, not because of an outward law, but because of an internal character. I obey because I want to, because I love God and what he's done for me. That's the inner attitude. We can have the spirit of the law, which is I want to, but I don't have the power to do it. It's that internal attitude, that internal character when Jesus comes into life that that now enables me to do what I want to do, but not because I have to, but because of what Jesus Christ has done for me. Father, we thank you so much for this wonderful word, God, and this great letter from Paul, God. Lord, may your spirit open eyes this morning, God. Open those eyes that might be spiritually blind right now, God. That may have that veil over them, Lord. And Father, we pray right now that your Spirit will enable those to see right now who can't see or haven't been able to see but want to see because you want them to see, Lord. You want all lies to come to Christ. And if you're here this morning and you don't know Jesus Christ, maybe you thought you did. That's religion. Going through the outward motions, obeying the do's and the don'ts, but not having the character of Christ. Being a living letter, as Paul said, through the changed life. As our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and we're praying. If you're here this morning and and you've never received Christ as your Lord and Savior and and you want to now or, or maybe you thought you did, but you want to make sure. I want to pray this prayer with you out loud. You know, and if you if you want to receive Christ, just lift your hand up real quick and put it down. Anybody at all? Awesome. I'm going to pray this prayer out loud, and you repeat it to the Lord with all of your heart. You pray with me, dear Jesus. Please forgive me, Lord, for all of my sins. I confess to you, I am a sinner. And I want to receive you as my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. And help me now to follow you all the days of my life. And thank you, Lord, for saving me. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Awesome.